Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 308 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 20th, February 17th, 2014. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Talk about some USC baseball later. Got some USC basketball questions. We're going to talk about the offensive line, what the new defense could look like. We've got Dan Weber. going to discuss a lot of those topics. We have Coach Harvey Hyde here in the the first segment we'll get to all that want to get to your questions so if you have questions for us we do love to hear from you podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or if you call our voicemail line 206-888-6755 leave a voicemail there keep it brief if you can and you could also go to peristylepodcast.com that's our website for the the podcast you can click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from your computer so lots of ways to get a hold of us without further ado want to jump in with coach harvey hyde what's up coach how are you I'm doing great. Did you have a good weekend, Ryan? I did, and happy President's Day to you. Well, thank you very much. I'll accept that. And same to you and to all of our listeners out there. If you work today, that's great. I'm working today. You're working today. If you have the day off, congratulations. That's great. So just enjoy it. Be safe wherever you go, and all the other things go around that, right? <laughs> and, Coach, I mean, you're working today. We're doing the podcast, but you're also in Catalina. So that's not too bad if you have to have work environment over there. Well, I'm blowing out of here today right after our <laughs> podcast and then back into um, L.A. Then Wednesday, i got to go to Vegas, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and come back Friday night from Vegas and then continue uh, with what we do and uh, what I love doing and you love doing, and that's uh, stay with sports, follow sports, follow all the activities that are happening uh, around the country, and then do my real things that uh, I get paid for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We all got to work, got to pay those bills. All right, well, uh, Coach, we wanted to, to thank our sponsor before we get going here, sctickets.com. It's Southern California Tickets. Pretty easy to remember, sctickets.com, or you can call them at 800-888-7287. been with us for a long time, so we appreciate them over there at sctickets.com. Check it out if you need tickets for anything. And, uh, Coach, we want to start off with a voicemail question. This is not a very – I guess our this this listener is not very uh, – doesn't think very highly – of Steve Sarkeesian. He's called in a couple of times before. I want to play this one for you and get your, your thoughts. Here you go. Yeah, this is Dougie at the top of the grapevine. Yeah, just a few disturbing things I heard here from Sarkeesian. Uh, listen, you know, I hear this. I hear this. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna, to uh, practice easy. We're going to do the thud again, you know. I mean, am I hearing a rerun or, or what? And, and already talking about scholarship, you know, Last week I hear him talking about Scar, you know, oh, we're down players. You know, it sounds like a rerun of the same excuses from last time. Coach O proved you just shut your mouth, you strap it on, and you get out there and hit somebody. And, and frankly, they better put a bullseye on Stanford right now and, and come out swinging because that's going to be the tail of the tape. Stanford should be down, and they should be able to handle business. And if they don't, uh, you're going to hear boos of that Coliseum louder than last time. That's all. Fight on. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I, I got your point, and I'll tell you, uh, you're a fired-up Trojan, 
and I think it's important that you're able to uh, give your opinion. I like your opinion, and I have to say that uh, I agree with you somewhat as far as, you know, excuses. I think excuses are for losers. I think you're that type of guy. I don't like to hear that the reason we're not doing well or we're not doing this or we've got less numbers and all the above uh, are just things that uh, that uh, take you away from your main focus and give you excuses for not performing well. I think that you have to perform well. You have to show up to play. You, you can't uh, start the season like that. Uh, not that I've heard him say that much, but I heard him say that we wouldn't hit much this spring. I've heard that only. I think you become a football team and a football player by scrimmaging and hitting. I think that uh, that uh, that's just part of the game. You're going to have injuries in the game. You know, they lost a couple of players last year just during, during summer workouts. They weren't hitting anybody. And I've always felt that if you're prepared to hit, you have less injuries. So uh, I think, you know, you and I are more uh, old school. Uh, I think you practice hard, and from practicing hard, uh, in fact, I used to say our practices will be better or harder than what the game would actually be. I really felt that way. I would feel that uh, our players would look forward to the game. And if you have great depth or great players on your roster, you get better by playing against great players every single day. You don't get play better by just playing on Saturday. So uh, we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen this spring. I'll be obviously uh, as interested as you are going out and watching practice. Uh, I don't think I don't think you should take that yet as the sign of what Coach Sarkeesian is going to do. I think we ought to wait and see and see just how much hitting and scrimmaging that, that happens out there. But I agree with you. You can't start that talk again about uh, hey, uh, you know, uh, we we don't have numbers or what we don't know what to do and we can't hit and we got injuries and and we're on we're on sanctions. I know exactly where you're coming from. Okay. And that went away towards the end of the season. You never heard it from anybody. Pat Hayden, you didn't hear from anybody talking about it again. So I agree with you. I think you've got to be positive. You've got to play football. Football does have some negative things with it when you get hurt. But, you know, that's part of the game. It's been happening that way for years. So uh, let's don't give excuses. Let's get out and play football. Now, that's the best way to answer that question. I, I agree with the gentleman. You can't have excuses because of injuries or sanctions and all of the de- uh, rest of the things that's happened. Ryan, you remember hearing that all the time. Certainly, yeah. And, and, and Coach, it's interesting that we get a question like this, uh, obviously not you know, favorable towards Steve Sarkeesian, but I think over the past couple of months, you know, there was, there was more negativity towards Sarkeesian in the beginning. I think he's kind of won over a lot of people, I think, when they put the coaching staff together and then obviously signing day was a very successful day. A good recruiting class, kind of everything went according to plan. But he, I think this call shows that he still has to win over some people. I mean, obviously they haven't played on the field yet. They haven't played anything on a Saturday. But so far, I think he's been winning over some of the fans and other fans are, are still apprehensive. They don't, they don't really like the hire. Well, that's always going to happen because, uh, you know, you got to remember that when he was at SC before, he was a lot younger, and uh, he's grown up a lot. He's been a head football coach. Uh, he has learned what he did wrong. He knows USC. He knows the USC tradition. He knows what people expect at USC. I thought he had a great recruiting year, which was part of uh, the first evaluation period, now the off season, then spring practice, and, of course, the fall. So I think you got to give uh, him a chance to get out there, demonstrate his skills, but let his staff coach together. 
and uh, be positive. We have to be positive. What I mean, you and I and the gentleman that called has to be positive. So let's see what happens here. And then, as you know, if you listen to Trojan Talk, if you listen to our podcast, you know I'm always going to give you the exact feelings on how I feel. It's I'm not a homer, so just hang in there and let's give it a chance. Uh, all right, let's go to Melvin, Coach. Uh, he wrote in. Um, if the NCAA is going to stop play so that the defensive substitutions can go on, how is this going to affect Coach Sark this spring in preparation for the season? Well, uh, you know, it hasn't passed, and you can always slow down, but it's hard to learn to speed up. So I would still coach at the up-tempo and uh, assume uh, that is going to be the way they will play. You know, it's amazing how people come up with these statistics uh, that are not, they don't even have statistics. Uh, their their main reason for this is because of injuries. Well, I don't know. I, you know, don't bring me this until I, you bring me statistics to show me this is, this is a fact. I don't like the game being dictated like it's going too fast. Uh, yes, it's given an advantage to people who do execute quickly and get it done because people can adjust or don't know what they're doing on defensive side, the defensive side of the football. I think it's great. I think when you cause people to be creative and you have great athletes at quarterback now, it's almost created the 12th man on offense. And you see all these quarterbacks and all these athletes now playing quarterback that you didn't see before. And it really does cause a problem on defense as far as substituting, adjusting, and and all of the above. So, you know, I think this has been brought about by a lot of the old traditional coaches, and I would put myself into that package because I am. But I have have learned to adjust that if I went into coaching again, I'd run an up-tempo offense. I just think it causes a lot of problems. I'd have the greatest athlete I could find. I'd start with Randall Cunningham, the quarterback, with me, which I had at UNLV. He would be something to try to stop. And uh, and uh, I don't know. We'll just wait and see what happens. But I don't I don't believe that'll pass. I, I don't know if that's going to pass. It might be recommended. But I, I, just, I just think that's too much dictating. I mean, give me some statistics first before you say more players are getting hurt because they're running more plays or whatever the – excuses, but just don't say that. Give me some stats on it. And then, of course, we all care about safety to the players. But uh, let's see what happens with that, Ryan. I, I don't. I can't imagine them starting to say that that's not an – you know, football is exciting, man, now. I enjoy watching it, man. I can't even get up to go to the restroom anymore because <laughs> I'll miss three plays. So, you know, I just think it's great. And teams have to adjust to it. They don't have to go to it. But if they don't go to it, then they have to learn to defend it. I agree, Coach. I don't think it's going to pass either. And if you listen to like the Rich Rodriguez or the uh, Mike Leaches of the world when they're interviewing on this, it, it sounds like it was something that normally you get all the co- the opinions of the coaches on this before you try to push something through. And um, I, I mean, even you know, Rich Rodriguez called out Nick Saban and saying like guys like that are really trying to sneak this in at the last minute. It sounds like politics and stuff going on where this was they were trying to slide this through. And it's not – I mean, the coaches are going – they're up in arms about this. So the majority of the coaches are, are running up-tempo things now. I don't think you're going to be able to pass something like this. No, I agree with you, and I don't think it's right. I don't think uh, you should be able to dictate a style of football that people play. And uh, if this is equalized the playing field, okay, you know, Nick Saban in a happy camper right now, and you Alabama fans, not just him, he's lost his last two games. How would you feel about that? 
So, uh, you know, uh, maybe he feels that's, you know, the other teams have an advantage over him. But he has all the athletes, he can't utilize them all because it takes away from his type of game, which is smash mouth football. But, you know, he has his right too. But, uh, no, that, that'll never pass. I don't think it'll ever pass. I'd be really surprised. But he has a lot of clout. He has a lot of clout, but I don't think he has enough. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. All right. Um, this is a, a Twitter question. We, had, we got some Twitter entries today uh, on the podcast. This is from Kurt, uh, who is actually he's a award, he's an Emmy Award-winning news anchor in New Jersey, I think it's for News 12. So Kurt and I follow each other on Twitter, and thanks for uh, – Sending this one in, but he wants to know, do you think Buck Allen can separate himself as a 20 to 25 carry per game back and leave the the running back by committee behind? I think he can. In fact, I'm one that believes in that type of uh, situation. I think you should have great competition at running back. You might lose one or two. They might transfer. But I'm for keeping my best guy at the game all the time. I'm just one of these believers that you hear me talk every week. Put your players on the field. Don't have them watch. And and I'm not saying he's the best one. He certainly did finish strong. Uh, There were other that were injured. Justin Davis had a great year last year. Ty Isaac came on strong. You know, we there's there's backs that are there. But I think you just put it on the line at every position. You say, hey, whoever comes out the starter is the starter. And if someone goes down, you'll get your opportunity, and that's the way you'll prove it. But whoever that starter might be, I think they should stay in the game. you got a rhythm. If you watch Kerry play last year, if you watch all these guys play, they come out of the game. They carry 40, 45 times a game. And they get in the rhythm, and they get tough, and they get in shape. And they wear down the secondary. They wear down the backs. They get the timing of the blocking. They run the place two or three times in a row or whatever they do, and they know how to read the blocks and who's going to over-pursue and not over-pursue. So I'm a guy that believes in get your best 22 on the field the entire time and let them play. And uh, that's what I believe. So, no, I don't believe in that committee. I never have believed in that at USC. You know, now what you're trying to do is keep everybody happy rather than win football games. Well, the the interesting thing last year, Coach, is I I don't even know if they wanted to do like a a single running. It just seemed like every time they went with somebody – a guy would get hurt, and you'd be forced to take him out. It was it was almost like the coach's hands were forced because guys were getting hurt so much at the running back spot. I know that they used a lot of different rotations, but a lot of the times, I mean, I, you know, obviously they brought in different guys too, but a lot of times they, they the first guy they bring in would get hurt. Trey Madden, you'd see this happen a few times. Like, why is Trey Madden not getting any more carries? Oh, he got hurt in the first quarter. Um, so it seemed like keeping these guys healthy or keeping your back if you have a Kadeem Carrier or whoever, you get you know, Buck Allen, you gotta keep them healthy throughout the year to give them that opportunity to get that many carries. Well you gotta keep them healthy and you don't beat them up during the week. They prove themselves during the weekend. You want that guy to run the football on Saturday, not on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. You you let him keep his timing and so on. You let the others run a lot of the plays. He watches, he's involved, lets his you let his legs rest, you let him recover. He, gets a lot of treatment, so he's ready to go again. I mean, you play yourself into shape. You play yourself into being able to get hit 40 times, and that just begins, that's the way it is. You get up sore on Sunday. You get up sore on Monday. You know what it's all about. But, uh, again, if somebody is injured, you're certainly not going to play him. You take him out, and you let the next guy get in there. And SE is just fortunate to have a group of running backs that are really good. So you get your really good best one, and you let him play it. Right now, Buck Allen, to me, uh, 
is a, it has really proven, not that Justin Davis hasn't, but Buck Allen has something extra. I mean, he's got speed. If you've watched, they've had angles on him, yet he's been able to run away from people. He's tough inside. He bounces around. Justin Davis has got great lateral movement. Ty Isaac is a big forced. Uh, you know, they've all got their specialties, but you've got to get the best one that fits what you're doing and allow him to play. Um, here's another uh, question from Twitter from Mario. So question for coach, who do you think is going to step up and fill in the defensive end spots for USC? That's a good question. Uh, I know they're going to have to get defensive end play, especially they're going to have to get pass rush. If you, if you, if you notice the Super Bowl, the way the ends pressured Peyton Manning, I mean, he was never comfortable the whole game. They gave him all kinds of fits. I mean, the defensive ends have got to be quick today. They've got to be tall. They've got to be lanky. They've got to be able to get by the – uh, the defense, uh, the offensive tackles, and force the quarterback back into the cup. But then also, you've got to have tackles playing in there that the quarterback can't just run up the middle. Now Peyton Manning didn't give you that type of problem, but he's not going to run up the middle. But the quarterbacks in college today will run if you give it to them. Huntley did it against USC. Ran for as many yards or whatever in big plays and third down plays against USC and other teams the entire season. So you've got to have great defensive ends, and and I'm not I can't remember now because I, I'm not have, so, I don't have a roster in front of me. But who are the guys be playing defensive ends? So if we look at those, are they, if they play with a forty or I don't know what defense they're going to play. Right, that's the problem, and we have a question for this with, that Dan's going to take a little bit later in the show too. But you know we're not really sure what this four three three four hybrid is going to be. And Chris Swanson wrote a, a nice piece on you know kind of what Sarkeesian and, and Justin Wilcox did up in uh, Seattle. Um, but you know, guys like a Leonard Williams, is he going to be a defensive tackle? Is he going to be a defensive end? They have like a, a nose guard, a defensive tackle, at least at Washington, they had like a nose guard, defensive tackle, uh, a defensive end and like a rush end. And then like a Sam linebacker who was more like, almost looked like a safety. At least that's what they were doing up there. So, uh, you know, as J.R. Tavai, you know, he, he kind of came in and played well, but you know, last year it was a lot of, um, you know, you got to see uh, Morgan Breslin, you know, when he was healthy, uh, Devon Kennard. Um, who are these guys going to kind of come in? I mean, you could have Leonard Williams do that. Um, you could have Devon Simmons come in. You know, he's the transfer uh, from Texas Tech. Um, you know, I, I probably like Codpallant is going to play in the middle. You know, probably take like George Uko's spot. Uh, but, you know, I think Tavai is certainly going to be one of those guys that um, it's a chance to to really make a name for himself, and you know maybe it's Leonard Williams. If you, you know, Kenny Bigelow is going to come in. He could play inside. He, he redshirted last year. Maybe Williams will to be a defensive end again. I'm not really sure, but there seems like a lot of different options. But we really have to kind of see what this defense looks like in the spring before you can kind of assign spots. At least in my opinion. Yeah, that's the way I was thinking. I don't know what you're going to run, but I'll tell you one thing: Leonard Williams would be in every defense. Doesn't make any difference what defense you're going to run. He'd be on the field. Like I talked over and over and over, you keep your athletes on the field. I think Ruffin, Hayes, Pollard, those guys would be on the field. Ruffin's a good football player too. I'm going to tell you, he, he and and Tavai. I mean, really, Tavai at the end of the year was playing as good as anybody. He really was. That kid really came when he was given his chance. He really played. I was really proud the way he played. So you've got players on the defensive side of the football. And this big Simmons kids, he's got to wake up now. You know, it's pretty tough as a red shirt to get fired up and, and go hard. But he was a four or five star coming out of high school. And he's got to gear it up now. It's time for him to pay his bills. 
Uh, he's had a year free, and it's time for him now to come back and get on the field, slim down, get himself in shape, and be ready to play. And Greg Townsend got all the ability in the world. He just needs to, you know, mention get get mean if he's going to play on the defensive side of football. He's got to get on on and angry. So there's talent over there. There's speed over there. Scott Starr, he's got to step up. Dawson's got to step up. There, there's players there. It's just getting them on the field and all the right players in the defensive schemes you're going to run. Yeah, I just and there's so many. There's like kind of these tweener guys, and you're not really sure what in the scheme what they're going to be asked to do and what they're um, – like you mentioned, like Ruffin and Starr. Like are they going to be – you know, kind of rush ends or what, you know, what are they going to be outside linebackers? I'm not sure how it, we're, we're curious to see what the scheme is going to be like and what they use, but I, I think they have to kind of manipulate the scheme a little bit to look at the athletes that are, that are on the defense. Like you said, there's some really good ones and make it work. I mean, last year was a great defense and, and I think the guys just fit well in Clancy Pendergast's scheme. Well, if they don't fit as well in Justin Wilcox scheme, are you going to adjust the scheme or are you going to try to make guys put you know square pegs and round holes i'm not really sure but i think you have to to, to play with that a little bit there, there's enough talent here on this defense to keep the the momentum going like they had last year you're exactly right and uh, as our first caller said shouldn't be any excuses they've got all the spring uh, to get ready and get ready to play and in the fall camp to get their players and familiar with the defense the main thing i say is don't get so fancy that you take the athletic ability out of your players you've got players here that can play. So keep it simple, yet put them in a position where they can be successful. Uh, Clancy's defense last year was very successful until they played UCLA, and when they played UCLA, it looked as though they had never seen UCLA play before. I mean, they could do anything they wanted against uh, USC's defense. I don't know if it was attitude or whatever, but they certainly didn't stop anybody. So you've got to put your guys in a position where they can be successful, stop what you're going to see the most, as far as the type of uh, offenses, you look at your opponents and you see what they're running, and then you start working on those schemes immediately. Fresno State, you have an idea of what they're going to do. They're not going to change. Going to Boston College, you played them. They're not going to change. You go through the whole thing. Notre Dame's not going to change. Uh, Arizona State, all the teams currently in the Pac-12 have been successful. What was it, six or seven? I went to bowl games. What was it eight? I'm not even sure. Eight went to bowl games. So when you're successful, you really don't change much. Even Washington went to a bowl game and won. In fact, the, the Pac-12 could have gone undefeated in bowl games if, if Arizona State hadn't blown it and uh, Stanford uh, lost in the Rose Bowl game. But otherwise, they were 6-2. and two. So, hey, when you're successful, you're not going to see your opponents as far as in the conference change. And Notre Dame's not going to change either. All right. Uh, let's see. We had one other question. Um, it's kind of a... It's a little bit in depth, but I wanted to to kind of get your thoughts on this, Coach, uh, from Ron. And his, with the recruiting cycle just ending, he's not real happy, I guess, what's going on in Westwood here. So we're going to get your thoughts on on what he's saying. He said a couple of reasons UCLA bombed on recruiting in Los Angeles was, in my opinion, that Coach Jim Mora and his comments about USC. Two of those stick out to me are his number one statement that USC is surrounded by a bad community, the fact that USC is connected to that community. And the university does so many good things in the community at large. To me, it's a slap in the face to many of the athletes who grew up in that area and others who grew up in similar areas. And number two, the on-air, uh, the, the talk about from Mora on national television about the victories over USC. Why would anyone want to go to school where their neighboring rival has beaten them twice in a row? His overall arrogance was put on display at that moment. 
has always been Mora's MO for as long as I can remember to badmouth others. I truly believe this will be his last year in Westwood after this upcoming season. I think he has a good idea now that with USC being off sanctions, it will be even more difficult for him. I wonder if he would have taken that University of Texas job now. Uh, that's from Ron, who obviously not a big Jim Mora fan. Ron, uh, let me put it to you this way. Uh, when you win, you got the last uh, say. In the last two years, UCLA's been victorious over USC. So they got a little bit carried away. Some of the things when you, when you win, you get a little careless, and you say things you're sorry about later. Uh, if he was to check his roster, he'd see that most of his best players come from the same areas that USC's players come from. So you, you better uh, get away from that. Uh, you know, players are, are players. You get your players where their talent is. You don't worry about where they're from or what areas. It's that they qualify and they can play football and you offer them a scholarship and they come. Uh, most of that talk came after the UCLA victory. We own L.A. and all this and that. That's just excitement. And you, you say a lot of that stuff, but later you're sorry for saying a lot of that stuff. You really are. I think the momentum right now, is in USC's favor. Now, will USC beat UCLA next year? I'm not saying that. But the way recruiting finished for USC, people are fired up. Ryan, you were on my show a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever you were on my show. That was the biggest turnout we've ever had at the show. It was huge. People are excited now about USC football. They're back. Uh, they won their bowl game. They've had a great offseason. So you know what you got to do is you can't worry about what somebody else is doing. You really got to worry about what you're doing. And if you spend too much time worrying about what UCLA is doing or USC is saying or not, or, you know, anybody else, you're, you're taking time away from your own program. So I'm sure that Steve Sarkeesian and his staff couldn't give a damn what Jim Moore is saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let him say what he wants to say. If it helps him in recruiting or it helps him build confidence with his team, they haven't beaten USC for so long they can't believe they did two years in a row, Okay. <laughs> so what you do is you just get back. You know, you tell your team, hey, you know, that's a long ways away. It's our final game of the year, I think it is, or next to our final game of the year next year. I think Notre Dame might be the last game. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, you can't, don't worry about what the other teams are saying. Just worry about what we're doing and how we're preparing ourselves to get ready to play. So Jim, Jim is fired up. He's been successful. You know, he's, he's, they've had two back-to-back -back winning seasons, which is something special for UCLA. And, yes, he's got it going, but how well does he have it going? I mean, yes, he's been in two Pac-12 championship games. No, one one or two. Has he been in two? Yeah, I think two. Two, two national conference championship games. He's lost them both. But he's got there. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, every year is a different season. So I wouldn't, you know – the, the person to call in, don't get, just follow SC's program. Don't worry about <laughs> what anybody else is saying. It was Ron that wrote in. But yeah, I, mean, I think what you were saying, Coach, it, it makes sense. And to me, I've seen this happen over the last several years. Uh, you know, it's been different the last two years because UCLA has actually won on the field. But when USC was kind of dominating, I thought that, you know, Rick Neuheisel, who I, who I have a lot of respect for, would come in and, and take some of those top recruits away. Um, you know, I wasn't sure about Jim Mora, but you know, with, with success on the field, you would think that that would help in the recruiting circles as well. But to, to not even get an official visit from a Damian Mama or a Dory Jackson or a Juju Smith, like you know, the three best players you could argue in California and Southern California, that's that's a that's something that he's got to sell to you know his 
his fans and his you know players and I think that they they had 12 guys on their target list for signing day and end up getting one of them uh, so that's a pretty big strikeout on signing and I think they still had a good class it's not that very big uh, but when USC was down with the sanctions I thought that UCLA would get some of those five-star local recruits that USC really wanted and that you know there were there was really kind of an even playing field for and it seemed like for the most case it's not been an even playing field. It's still been tipped towards USC. And, and Jim Mora came out and they were talking about this Bruin Revolution coach. And we had people on our site, and we've talked about this on the podcast, they were really worried about what's going on at UCLA. I think they did a good PR job selling it, how UCLA is back. But then, you know, when you saw the recruits roll in and they weren't picking UCLA and they were picking USC – then that kind of blows up in your face a little bit. It was good PR beforehand, and I think that was something he was trying to to sell to the fans and sell to the season ticket holders and the alumni and all that, but it didn't really turn out that way. So I, I'm i curious to see what goes on now because Steve Sarkeesian seems to you know have it going as far as recruiting goes. He finished well. You can't, you can't fault him for what he did. 2015, tons of talent here in Southern California coach, and if USC is able to, to do decently on the field, there should be a, a great haul with the first you know full recruiting class in over three years. I'm curious to see what happens with some of these head-to-head battles. But so far, even during the sanction side, USC was winning out on most of those battles. No, I agree. And I'll tell you, to keep the program in a position that it is, really, SC got the next thing to the death penalty. They got a reprieve two minutes before they're putting them in the gas chamber. They they really did if they got one. I mean, you couldn't have two two ten win seasons going through what they've gone through. They tried to bury the program, and I've said this over and over and over. Nobody came to the defense in the Pac-12 at all. No one, not no one. Like I just said, no one came to the defense. No one, not the commissioner, not any member. They just said, "Oh, good. Well, now this gives us a chance to catch up," and they have. Let's give credit to Stanford, Oregon State, Arizona State, Arizona. Hey, these teams have got great programs now because it was more or less a time that they said, okay, this is a time that we can not allow them to stick their sword in our emblem. Do you remember that at the UCLA a year ago or two years ago? They wouldn't let the Trojans come out and stick their knife or whatever you call that thing, sword, yeah. into the emblem. I mean – there weren't a lot of little ticky-tacky things. They were trying to harass USA. I mean, now it's time for the Trojans to regroup and get back into it, stay within the rules and regulations. I'm going to tell you, every single one of the opponents, opponents that play USC are looking for anything, anything the Trojans do. When you win and you're coming back, people don't, don't, they don't want to beat you on the field. They want to beat you another way. So they got to be careful, but they got to come back. They got to get great recruits, and uh, hope that they can gain back and get in that left hand lane and win. All right, well, coach, great stuff. We appreciate you uh, coming on the show, sharing your insights. It's always fun, and uh, spring football is coming up, so we got more to talk about. Keep those questions coming in. We appreciate all those, and uh, thanks again, coach. Thank you very much, Ryan, and thank you to all of our listeners out there. And uh, Keep those coming in, and uh, stay tuned to Dan Weber. Yeah, Dan Weber coming up here in 30 seconds, a little break, and we're going to talk some more USC football with Dan. Stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. 
SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. Dan, what's going on, sir? How are you? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. It's going to be an interesting week, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on this week, so I wanted to jump right into it. And I think the first thing, we want to do a little preview, and we had a question from Stephen Poway, and I thought that was a good like way to start off the, this segment of the show. He wants to know, Dan, do you know when the Todd McNair case is is expected to finally, finally go to trial? That's from Steve in Poway. Well, it's interesting that you would ask that question, Steve. Uh, was down at the uh, clerk of uh, the Court of Appeals uh, Friday, and they said that uh, uh, both uh, final briefs have been filed, both the NCA's final brief and Todd McNair's final brief. I think Todd's was filed actually end of November. The NCA filed theirs last week. I think between them there's like 20, 26,000 words of, uh, of briefs uh, that have been filed. And uh, according to the clerk, uh, within the next couple of months, uh, I know that the McNair brief was, she said, already in up with the court is how she described it. And she said that's because they're getting ready to assign it a trial date or an open hearing date in court, which will be available uh, for the public to go see. And I, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's like the um, uh, Supreme Court, for example, where you get an hour or something to you know, argue your side, and they get an hour to argue their side, and then they, go, you know, they, they ask questions of the attorneys and what have you. It's not a trial, but it's a hearing. So that's, uh, that's actually coming up. Uh, and, you know, this is a kind of a... Also an interesting week, um, uh, Derek Crawford, the NCA's uh, new director of enforcement, is uh, coming to San Diego on uh, Wednesday evening to speak to a, a group of uh, mostly, from what I gather, uh, USC lawyers uh, in San Diego who invited him uh, to come speak, and he's coming and speaking. Uh, I guess it's a group of lawyers that brings in speakers on different topics, and they wanted to talk about the NCA, and he accepted. So uh, there will be um, USC people uh, discussing. We're not sure exactly the scope of what uh, Derek Crawford is going to be able to discuss. He wasn't there for the uh, USC case. He wasn't at the NCA. He was hired last year. But uh, but it'll be an interesting opportunity maybe to see uh, what the NCA is thinking, how it looks back at the uh, McNair case, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, as much as we might not want to deal with it, uh, it's it's the you know case that won't go away. It's the issue that won't go away. It's still there, and uh, as USC is in the last year of the um, of, of the NCA penalties and all of that, uh, this is probably uh, one last uh, real uh, chance, unless. I guess the one big unless is if uh, after the appeals court you know rules if the um, if they rule to 
in favor of McNair, and the case can then go to trial. And they also rule in favor of uh, releasing the emails. Uh, that'll be <laughs> that'll be a big moment too. So that'll be uh, that'll be a big uh, potential you know moment coming down the road. So check out uscfootball.com. It should be up shortly after the podcast goes up. So uh, by Monday early afternoon, uh, Dan's story on the Todd McNair case should go up on uscfootball.com. So check for that. We get we get questions yeah, about that we every will, week. Dan. You will be able to read the uh, the NCA brief. It's uh, I guess all told forty seven pages, but a lot of that is kind of you know telling you what cases and what's the, you know, the table of contents and things like that and certifying this and that, but probably about 37 pages of, uh, actual, you know, argument of why they why they say the case should be thrown out and why McNair, why the judge, uh, judge Schaller got it wrong. And, uh, it'll, uh, it'll be fun. You can play the, play, uh, pretend lawyer <laughs> and, uh, you can answer, uh, answer back. They're a little out of order. Uh, uh, the NCA case was available uh, immediately last week because uh, they had filed uh, later, and it was still electronically available, and we could get it um, from the clerk uh, uh, immediately with the uh, with the Todd McNair brief, uh, since it's already been put in a you know brief book and. Uh, given to the to the court, we have to actually manually copy it and scan it in, and uh, won't be able to do that till uh, Tuesday at the earliest. But uh, uh, but they're going to be available for your reading pleasure. All right, uh, well check that out on uscfootball.com later today. Thanks for that, Dan. And we had some questions, you know, with spring football coming up uh, in a few weeks. We uh, you know some questions on the team and Earl in West LA. I guess we'll start with him. He says, I'm hearing that the rehab times for Andre Walker and Zach Banner may keep them out of spring practice. Can you shed some light on their condition and rehab status, if you, if you know anything, Dan? Yeah, Zach uh, says he, he's really optimistic. Uh, talked to him not too long ago. He was walking by, uh, you know, looked very uh, healthy and bouncy and said his hips are feeling great and that uh, has been told that he can do most everything in spring He's saying, I think I can do everything, uh, every football-related uh, uh, you know, thing that I have to do. So Zach was, was very, very positive about uh, where he's going to be. We'll see how that, how that works out in terms of – but just the very fact that he's uh, really upbeat and saying he's you know, feeling great and that uh, this is going to make a big difference in his ability to you know, be the kind of player that everybody hoped he, he, you know, he could be with, uh, with what is done to – to give him more flexibility in his hips and less pain and that kind of thing. Andre Walker, kind of the other way around. He he said that um, he was going by on his cart and basically said that uh, another three, maybe three more months, uh, and I guess that would be a two and a half months now, uh, before he's really out of the, he's in a boot and out of the boot. And able to able to you know to do a lot. So he's it sure looks like there's almost no possible way he's back for the for the spring or maybe even out of the you know out of the boot uh, with his ankle surgery. So um, so we got one one for one one uh, you know one in and one maybe not. Uh, but uh, but I guess everybody thinks that there's nobody that's uh, that, you know missed last year 
had a season-ending injury, had surgery, who won't be finished with rehab in the summer in time for uh, for next to be able to play next fall. So, so they're still, I think, pretty upbeat about most everybody, uh, not necessarily for the spring. But I'm not sure that missing spring in terms of the way they're going to do spring. I think spring's going to be a learning experience, more of an NFL-type uh, camp situation where, um, where it's more about installing and, and going over things. It's going to be more or an awful lot of, of mental kind of you know reps and preparation in that. So uh, that may not throw the guys who are still rehabbing uh, back all that much. All right. Um, well, let's stick on the offensive line. We had a question from Twitter from Kyle. I think his Twitter handle is, looks like Microsoft92. Um, how will last year's offensive line recruits work out with the freshmen depth-wise? Uh, That's what he said. I'm not uh, sure. I think maybe how they would fit in on the depth chart or something. incoming freshmen. Yeah, the in, and last year's – oh, maybe last year's offensive line recruits. So I guess – Maybe last year's freshmen. You've got uh, Khalil Rogers and Nico Fowler, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's probably yeah, what he's talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, – and we'll see. I mean, I think they're going to both get a chance to, you know, show what they can do. Um, I think, uh, I think you know, there's the potential to have significantly more offensive line depth this year than, than they had last year. Uh, that's really going to, you know, require the young guys, uh, the red shirts from last year, the young guys who come in, you know, the uh, freshman class coming in this year uh, to step up. And uh, and we'll see uh, with you know Coach Drevno and how how they uh, how they put these guys all together. But I think there's a chance for more for more depth. I think depth uh, you know, was a uh, you know clearly an issue last year, and now uh, I think uh, it's it's the biggest question of all. I think is is how does that offensive line develop? How do the young guys you know do they step up? Are they physically you know, able to handle it? Uh, are they going to be handle, able to handle, the, you know, the new system? Uh, it's the question. And I think they've got a chance. And I, that's all you can ask for right now is, you know, you got a chance. Um, and one last one on the offensive line. Uh, Tarek wants to know, if Max Tarek were moved back to left tackle, do you think Chad Wheeler could play right tackle? Oh, I don't think there's any question that Chad could do that. That would be... But not, I don't, I don't see that as uh, any kind of an issue. Um, and you know, they look, they're going to certainly look at Max. I guess Chad both, uh, uh, you know, wherever they need him. And Max obviously still has the uh, potential to play center as well. I mean, he basically uh, has played all five uh, positions plus uh, against Washington a year ago. Uh, uh, played tight end, so uh, he's essentially. Played six, uh, played or can play six spots on the uh, offensive line. So it'll be a little mixing and matching, and depending on uh, how the other guys step up or who steps up where and what's uh, what's the best combination. Uh, but um, but I think you're looking at you know Chad and Max as guys that that are pretty flexible in terms of uh, where you could line them up. And then I, I lied. I, I'm sorry. I, there's actually one more offensive line question okay. that I missed on that. Uh, I think it's Amial, A-I-M-A-L, Arasala. I'm uh, sorry, I probably butchered the name. But uh, the question is, who's the favorite to replace Marcus Martin at center for USC? You know, I don't know that there is. That's a good question. Uh, I know one of the issues with Max was always 
he's got such long arms. I mean, he's six six, but he's got arms for you know longer than that uh, for a guy bigger than that. And it was always hard for the the quarterbacks to get the snap in the right place. Uh, and uh, it was such a big adjustment. Now, I, you can make the case that if they're going to run, you know, a whole lot more shotgun, uh, that won't matter. Uh, so, so I think that that puts certainly puts Max in the mix uh, uh, at center. Uh, and you got uh, Khalil Rogers. I think will get a get a chance to uh, show what he can do. He certainly, you know, got some snaps last year with the uh, with the scout team and with the second group. So, uh, you know. Uh, I would I would start with those two, but uh, do some of the, you know does somebody step up like you know Marcus Martin as as a true freshman? Uh, it's hard to see that Marcus stepped up as a guard. Uh, it's hard to see. I, I think we've had what two two true freshmen start at center at, at USC in history. Uh, so it wouldn't be something that you would think. And maybe only one. I'm, I'm not even. I'm trying to remember if there was if there was somebody a long time ago. Uh, but I, I think just possibly just one cent, one true freshman center has ever started at USC. So uh, that'd be asking a lot to have one of the freshmen step in there and start at center. All right. Yeah. I think uh, what was it back in the day? I can't remember. It was, he was from Colorado. What is his name? Uh, he came in. Oh, at- uh, Keith Byers. Well, I think they were thinking he was going to start. Was it Keith? Why did I... No, it was Keith. Yeah. Jeff Byers. Jeff Byers. Jeff Byers. Keith Byers would play for Ohio State. Yeah. Jeff Byers. Uh, uh, but he did it because up... player Ryan... of the year, Gatorade player of the yeah. year. And I think they thought he was going to start. And then they realized Ryan Khalil <laughs> might be the best setter in America. <laughs> and I think Ryan took that personally. And uh, Jeff got started guard. Yeah. But, uh, but that didn't happen. He was also. There was also an issue with the uh, the center snap. He had been a uh, 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 his entire high school career a, uh, a shotgun snapper, and had not done the uh, snap with the quarterback uh, up behind the center. And so uh, that was another another issue uh, there. But uh, yeah, that's it's kind of a recycling of some of the same stories. Actually, now that you think about it. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll see what happens there. A lot of offensive line questions, of course, because. A lot of bodies and a lot of a lot of movement. Um, I guess this is kind of an offensive line one too, so maybe there's one more. But do you know what the date is? This is from D. Williams on Twitter. Uh, that Damian Mama is required to inform the coaches whether or not he intends to leave on his Mormon mission. You know, I followed those a little bit in other schools, and it surely doesn't look like it's. You know that I don't know if it's from the player standpoint. And I think, you know, with each school, it would be a matter of, you know, take as much time as you need. And, um, and you know, do you say, oh, we need to know before spring ball of the next year or, or so we can plan? You would think if there's a decision that well, you're not sure, let's say, you're not, are you going to do it or aren't you going to do it, uh, you would think that the, uh, the team would just say, take as much time as, as you need. Uh, but, but, that would be one that one of those uh, on my list of things to worry about. <laughs> that may be on the second page. <laughs> um, <laughs> might want to get through this spring and all of next year, and then you know see how that goes. I mean, it, it is something to think about. I mean, it just you know where 
where he might end up and um and uh just looking at his uh you know his his big body and frame and all that two years away from football how that would work out for him uh i don't know so uh so it's something to think about but maybe not right now and i, I agree with you and i think um uh, gerard martinez talk about, i mean there's a lot of recruiting services out there are saying that he's definitely gonna take his mission he said that he's adamant about it but if you talk to Gerard, we've had him on the, the recruiting podcast, and he's like, he's definitely not convinced he's going to take the mission. If you looked at Manti Teo and you followed his recruitment, he was adamant he's going to take a mission. He never took a mission, you know. Um, so it's it's not but, a guarantee. I, mean, I think one of the things, you get involved with the team, and then you start, you know, now you're kind of, you got another family, you know, another commitment. And, uh it, 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 you know, and a commitment to school and all those kinds of things. So, I, I think it would be probably uh, this far out for a you know a high school student to still a teenager to to be trying to forecast that. I think that would be probably more than than you can really uh, know for certain. I agree with you on that. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But like again, maybe page two or three on things to worry about. Right now, uh, E. Lopez on Twitter. Uh, thanks for all the Twitter questions I asked this morning just to to change the podcast up a little bit today. He wants to know, is uh, George Farmer ready to contribute this season, you think? Uh, you know, I think if, if nothing happens, uh, for sure. Uh, he's big and strong. Man, is he an impressive-looking athlete. Uh, you know, he went. He had one of those injuries where you just it just happens, and um, you, these kids are so – athletic and so um you know i mean they may be more athletic than their than their entire bodies are able to you know withstand uh, in terms of some of the cuts they make and at the speed they're making it at the size they are and all of that but uh i think you know he's got a chance to to be okay now i've grown into my body i've grown into my you know athletic ability and all of that kind of thing and uh, uh i think i'd give him a a chance that I think the way that they are going to use him will give him a chance to to maybe not be asked to do too many things, but be asked to do the you know the things that a guy you know with his body and his athleticism and his speed and his size and strength uh, can make it you know make life really difficult for uh, for defenses if you you know you line him up in in a slot somewhere you know and he's got to be uh, defended by by a linebacker. Or a little cornerback, um, he uh, he. So I, I I think they'll figure out how to use him. I think they would have figured out last year uh, how to use him. Well, at least after the first five games, if he would have been healthy. But uh, uh, but I'm I'm fairly optimistic about about George. But it's not the kind of thing you just automatically write it down and say, you know, great player, Sarah, great high school athlete, automatic uh, situation. He just had one of those, you know careers that uh, it's, just, it's kind of a shame uh, that uh, he's had to go through what he's had to go through, but uh, it could make it so that when he really you know, gets his stride this year, next year, uh, he really can take advantage of, of all those athletic skills. But I, I think they'll keep it simple enough that the emphasis will be on just, you know, just make plays and do what you can do, and, and you'll be fine. And uh, so, I, so I'm, I'm optimistic about George. All right. Uh, let's see. Andrew Hogue had wrote in about uh, the number five jersey. He wants to know, what's the story with the number five jersey? Is it retired? Is it available? And we actually got a Twitter question from uh, Rechan18 about 
Adoree Jackson potentially wearing that number five. Uh, what what do you think about what's going on with that jersey, Dan? Well, I guess the number's available. I guess it just can't have Reggie Bush's name on it. Uh, I would <laughs> think. I mean, it was available for the NCAA to you know offer for sale on the uh, NCAA website, I guess, for a while there. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so I'm thinking it's okay for USC uh, to have have a number five, uh, whether. You know, whether they choose, you know, do you want to put that on a kid? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not a big one for saying how important numbers are. Um, you know, I was fine with Buck, uh, Buck Allen wearing number 37. You know, I just, uh, it's, it's not so much the, you know, the number on the kid, it's the kid and the number. And, uh, uh, so I probably would be, uh, not somebody who would be all excited about, uh, you know, playing in number five, play like number five, you know, that, that would be kind of be where I'd be on that one. Uh, All right. We have one last one. This might, we have to discuss this probably a little bit. Um, This is from James Braxton. One last uh, football question. We actually have a baseball and a a basketball question too, but the one last one on football. Um, James Braxton on Twitter wants to know, he wants to know what your starting defense would be in this three, four scheme. And uh, you know, we, we got to find out some of this stuff, Dan, and, and I think Chris wrote a nice piece uh, last week about the differences in this hybrid, you know, three four four three scheme, and um, you know what what we're looking at here. I mean, it's, it's good. The defensive line is going to look different. You know, they have a nose tackle, defensive tackle, a defensive end, a rush end, and a Sam backer, and that's that's what basically like Shaq Thompson played. Uh, in the Washington scheme, and maybe a Sua Cravens comes in there, but it seems like there's a lot of options. I don't know if if you've thought about what the depth chart could be on defense, Dan, but it seems like there's a lot of options that, where guys could go either way, and we're, it's almost like we have to kind of wait and see the way they want to to roll this out here in the spring. Yeah, I think without a doubt. I thought uh, uh, Gerard, I mean, you really, uh, Chris was trying to you know match him up with with Washington's defense last year. I'm not sure that. You know, you want to say here, USC, let's look like Washington looked last year. You know, I mean, uh, basically, USC had had the best defense in the in the Pac-12, and uh, uh, I think it'll be kind of a combination. And, and one of the things about Clancy's defense and and and, and Wilcox's defense is they both combine lots of different principles, and uh, so. I think the thing that was so beneficial to USC last year is that the principles that you know Clancy started with happened to match up exactly to the players he had, and uh, if that remains the situation, which it seems to be uh, that the you know the pipeline is set up so that the players for uh, for for what they were and they they did a lot of different things last year, but but it, why would you change uh, something that? that worked really well, or why would you force that change? I, I just get the sense that they're not going to be that kind of uh, forcing, uh, you know, square pegs into round holes or whatever. This is because this is how we do it. Um, I, I don't think that's the way Sark does it. And I don't think, I think they're smart enough. I think we saw that in the recruiting, that probably they really paid attention to what had been set up in terms of how recruiting was going to go. And, uh, and went in that direction as much as they could, as opposed to saying, "No, we've got our own way of doing things," or "We gotta, we're gonna, you know, this is what we know." I think they very, very smartly uh, paid attention to all the 
groundwork that had been laid and, uh, and, and what T. Martin was doing, and, uh, and it benefited them greatly. I think they'll do the same thing with defense. I think they'll uh, feel their way through uh, you know, this period right now, through the spring, spring ball, and really see what is the best way for us to go here. What, you know, where do our players line up the best and perform the best and fit the best? And I think, uh, I think waiting and seeing is by far the best way to go. I think we're just, you'd just be you know, blindfolded throwing darts right now if you tried to you know, put a, a depth chart. or uh, I mean, they don't know where Hayes Pillard is going to play, for example. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so to try to say, okay, we can figure out a depth chart, well, where are you going to put him? Oh, well, they're not sure. Well, then there you go. I mean, I think <laughs> you just have to kind of wait. And, uh, and see how this all shakes out. I mean, I think the one thing you can say is they should be pretty darn good on defense. Uh, it's that pretty, pretty simple. Do you take Sue Cravens and force, you know, and say, oh, we're going to bring you up. You're really athletic. Going to bring you up, and 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 you can play the role of some guy who's not nearly as athletic as you are, who plays at Washington. Eh, probably not. <laughs> I'd like to Sue Cravens to be Sue Cravens, and I'd like to see a a guy his size who can close on the football the way he can do that. Uh, and so I just – I don't think they need to, you know, follow, oh, this is what they did somewhere else. Uh, that's what they did somewhere else. But uh, they're at USC now, and they know it. And uh, I think they're going to do whatever's best for this USC team. I think one of the things that you like about Sark is I think he really understands – what his opportunity is this year. I don't think he's going to look at this year as a year, oh, we're going to, this is a learning year, or this is an installation year, or da da da. No, this ought to be, this ought to be a year where they say, we're going to go to the Rose Bowl, or, you know, whatever the, pretty much the way Pete did. You know, that's the number one goal, get to the Rose Bowl, and any way you can, you know, whatever else happens after that, that's great. Um, and the way you do that is you win the Pac-12. And you win the Pac-12, then you, uh, a lot of things open up for you this year with the um, four-team playoff for the first time. And so uh, I think the, the number one decision ought to be what helps us win the Pac-12 uh, and what's the best use of our players that we have right now, limited numbers that we have. I mean, you're really justified, I think, on the fact that you know, USC does have limited numbers. And – uh, if they if they really fit a system, or at least a system that starts out one way, let's go that way. Why uh, why change that? Uh, so, I think you're right. Uh, I think uh, we're just guessing. If yeah. we, it's like with the offensive line as well. You know, where's Max Turk going to play? Or uh, we don't we don't really know. They've got spring ball to do that. Still kind of a veteran team, so it doesn't put them all that far behind, you know, when you've got, uh, you know, all the people back on defense that they have and all the leaders on defense that they have back. When you've got Josh Shaw and Sue Cravens and, uh, you know, uh, Big Leonard Williams and, um, and Hayes Dillard and, and J.R. Tavai and all those guys, you really have a nucleus uh, to start with um, so that, that I do think you've got some freedom in the spring to just say, what is going to be the best use of all these personnel that we have with five pretty good linebackers? 
um, inside linebackers actually. And then, um, you know, the outside guys, are they, are they, you know, defensive ends? Are they stand up guys? Uh, what do you do with those guys? Uh, and they, they've got time to, to decide all that. And I don't think we can decide it for them because I don't know that they could decide it for, them for themselves right now. Well put Dan. Um, all right, so let's let's switch over. We got a few minutes left. I wanted to get two two topics in here. First one, it's a voicemail question for you. Yeah, this is Richard from uh, Toluca Lake. I watched the uh, USC basketball game today with Enfield's "Any Mini Money Mo." I haven't got a clue lineup. Uh, Howard on the sidelines because of a violation, and I'm just wondering what kind of effect this has on the program, on the fans, on the recruits. Uh, it doesn't seem like anybody has a clue. And watching uh, Enfield in the press conference with his puppy dog uh, bowing his head, um, it just seems like maybe the guy is in over his head. I'll give him this year, but uh, next year, boy, it better change. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have a lot of alums and maybe even Hayden saying, I made a mistake. Just curious what you guys think. Enjoy the show very much. Thanks again. Bye. Yeah, it is a, it's kind of a mystery. Uh, the the team we saw last year, that Florida Gulf Coast, had a real style about them and a real sense. Now, we saw them in the tournament when they were playing well. I mean, we know that they lost a couple of times to either Mercer or Lipscomb or whatever and with what looked like pretty good, you know, team by the end of the year. But but that team played with a flair and, a you know, it looked like they knew exactly what they were doing, and uh, that was uh, attractive. And, and Andy has a terrific resume in terms of, you know, smart guy, coach, teacher, player, NBA, um, uh, ACC, recruiter. He's done a good job, um, certainly recruiting. Uh, been been out places where you know you could see coach and uh, with um, the AAU players and just you know love uh, Jordan Jordan McLaughlin and just some they've done some really nice job uh, nice things uh, setting setting things up. But you really are disappointed in that this team, there's no style there. It's not like they're trying, how do we, how do you play if you're, this is an Andy Enfield team? How do they play? Who are they? How do they win games? And I'm disappointed a little bit. I think one of the the things I, I think they can do, and they did it even last night again, is they can score on transition. Now, whether... You know why is it is it a depth situation? We haven't really gotten anything to say exactly why. I mean, we're, this is a team that looks like they ought to run on everything. The center can't run, but uh, other than that, they they've got guys that can beat you up the floor. They can't score that well on half court because teams know what they can't do. Won't give them the you know they'll make them take that three three pointer that they know they can't shoot, and they don't run their offense or they, they certainly haven't been able to run run the ball through the post and 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 you know set up anything down in the low post even with the big guys. So uh, it would seem like you'd like to see them do more transition, more full court stuff, and just try to beat people up the floor. And they're not doing that. And um, one of the things that was really attractive about when they started practice this year, they were talking about being able to teach kids how to finish. You know, one, two dribbles and finish at the glass. One, two, and finish. And then you watch them and uh, you see how many guys don't finish at the glass. I mean, last night, three or four times they had one, two, 
three opportunities right at the glass, and they'd end up missing all three, and Colorado, you know, get a run out and get a layup the other way. And, you know, these are four-point swings. And uh, I would say most of the people who were excited about the prospect of, you know, the, the coach from Dunk City and all that coming in are a little puzzled about a team that basically – runs a, a perimeter passing offense that reminds you uh, at times, uh, scarily so, of uh, of what KO's teams were doing. Where, you know, and then, you know, passing the ball uh, for 30 seconds and then have to scramble to get a shot off at the end, of, you know, beat the shot clock. So uh, it's uh, it's disappointing, I would say, in terms of, of you'd like to see a team, young team or not, uh, with some talent, you'd like to see them uh, getting better as the year goes on. And uh, you can say, well, you're, you know, you get to the conference and what have you, but they beat. I mean, you know, their win against Xavier, that's a good win. Their win at Dayton, that was a good win. They beat Boston College, and Boston College has won a couple of games in the ACC this year. Uh, not a great team, obviously, but not a terrible team. And um, USC handled them pretty well. Then they got into January, and uh, they've had a lot of chances. For example, I mean, this is the first US, USC team in, the history, in history that lost two straight overtime games. I mean, they've been in games. Uh, they just haven't been able to finish the games uh, much as they haven't been able to finish on the floor uh, when, they get a, you know, when they get a chance. So uh, I, I don't disagree. Um, and one last one, Dan, from Melvin. We got just a couple minutes left. Uh, what do you think has happened to the USC baseball program? And in that USC's been in the past a baseball power, but now that athletic director Pat Hayden seems to have a problem with the selection of a permanent coach, and we have problems. Why is there this decline in USC baseball? Well, I mean, people don't really agree, but I, I think it's really difficult in Southern California for a private school. Uh, to get this to get it done, uh, there are several private schools that are doing well. I don't think Notre Dame so much anymore. Uh, Rice still uh, does decently. Uh, they're in Houston. Nobody else there is any good. Um, uh, Vanderbilt kind of in its own place, uh, and they've really figured out some things uh, and have for years uh, at Vandy. But again, there's nobody they're competing with, and then. Um, uh, I'm trying to think if um, the third program might be Texas Christian. Uh, again, they're kind of in their own world. The problem with, with here is that most guys who play college baseball think they're going to be able to play in the, uh, in the major leagues because uh, there's not that you know, physical requirement isn't the same as it is in, in the NFL or the NBA. So most guys are going to college, think they can go and play major league baseball, things work out. Uh, if you've got a choice, you have probably a better chance to get to the uh, uh, College World Series or to get you know, get seen by every major league scout that you need to have to be seen by if you're playing at uh, state schools like um, uh, UCLA or uh, uh, UC Irvine or Cal State Fullerton or um, UC Riverside. All of those schools have, have really good baseball programs. And they used to not, that used to not be the case. USC could benefit from 
pretty much uh, all the uh, all the uh, p- potential major league kids coming out of Southern California, and uh, and the NCAA didn't have the restrictive scholarship. Uh, uh, limitations, which I think are 11.7 uh, scholarships for baseball, and you need about you know 25 to 30 actual players uh, to run baseball. I mean, they give uh, women's softball teams more scholarships, and they you know you can get by on one pitcher, or maybe two the whole year. Yeah, you, know, you can get by on 11 players in, in women's uh, softball, but you can't in baseball. And so, private schools I think are really, really, really hampered unless they're in a situation where they're pretty much on their own in terms of, uh, you know, competition. But if you're a kid in Southern California, it would be hard to make the choice to go to USC on a half scholarship as opposed to any one of the state schools uh, on a half scholarship. I mean, the the difference in money is significant. And um, if you're thinking, I'm good enough to maybe go and get a shot in the majors, uh, then you're not probably willing to uh, fork over that much money uh, for your, your college education when you think, gee, I can go to Long Beach. Uh, Jared Weaver, I can go to Long Beach, and I'll have you know, at least as good a chance as going to USC, and it won't cost me anything. I mean, maybe if you got the best coach in America by far, I don't know, could Rod Dado come back and, uh, <laughs> and have a chance under these circumstances? Maybe. He was that special. Is that guy, you know, available ever again? I mean, he was I mean, he was the greatest of all time in, in college baseball. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, it's hard to say, well, if you just come up with another Rod Cadeau, well, that is not, that is not going to happen. And whether it could happen now is, 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 I think, a real question. And I know people say, just because Vandy and, you know, Rice teams are still able to be successful that USC should be, I just think the bar is so much higher for USC because of all the great, all these programs, Cal State Fullerton and Irvine and, and UCLA, have all won national championships and all go to the you know, College World Series. That wasn't the case at all uh, 30 years ago. And um, uh, I just think it, it's just so much, it's so unfair, I, I think, in some ways, to private schools. And I think, if I had to guess, I don't think the, there was anybody out there unhappy that the scholarship limitations were going to really um, cripple USC. Uh, again, USC still has the greatest uh, college baseball tradition for all of college baseball history. But, um, oh, I don't, I, I don't see how. I don't think it just comes down to you know, picking a coach or whatever, that would help. I mean, and there have been some opportunities maybe that that they didn't close on. Uh, but, uh, and I think it's a tough job, really tough job. All right, Dan, great stuff. Thanks for uh, three different sports there. So that was good stuff we got to, to get to. And uh, thanks, everyone else, for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 